Amber Brown, podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre and has a number of spin off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, learning development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand. This is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast. Rob Brown here, and on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, we devote Wednesdays to special guests that have been there, done that, got the t shirt gone through the journey and they've got life experiences and expertise to share. And I'm thrilled to have with me today, all the way from New Jersey, it's Yuri Kapilovich. Hello to you. Hey, how are you, Rob? How are you doing? We're great. You're a CPA, you run your own firm, but you've got an interesting story and uh, we're going to dip into that, Yuri. Uh, but just to give us a uh, give us a quick 60 seconds, if you can, of your story so we know where we're at right now. Sure, sure. So quick 60 second story. I was born in uh, Minsk, Belarus, moved to Israel, lived in Israel for 11 years, um, moved to the United States at the age of 13, pivotal age, you know, kids looking at you funny because you got a different accent and everything assimilated to that, uh, you know, went to school, wanted to always be in business, accounting gravitated towards that for my first tax class, really into high net worth um, taxes, the 1040s, all that stuff, uh, then uh, got into the working world and was uh, thrown off. So I, uh, you know, started working for Ernst & Young, you know, crazy hours and all of that in Miami. Uh, then I came back to New Jersey, where I was originally from, and I worked um, there every year and a half consistently. I was quitting my job and switching firms, seven, seven firms in total. And I realized that it was time to go out on my own and launched, you know, with a different brand. And that brand difference is the fact that I am a fun CPA, as you can see with my hashtag. I have a personality. And I take care of the people first, man. And that to me is number one. So taking all of that high net worth knowledge that I've learned over the years, working on 80 to $100 million a year clients, that that's what they made, taking that knowledge down to what I do now, 5 million and below in gross revenue, personal, personable, and fun. That's over 60 seconds, but you did really well to keep it that short because there's such a lot in there. Yuri, take us back to you as a teenager. You said you had a hankering for the numbers in the account. Was it obvious what you wanted to be back then? You know, it wasn't so obvious. And interestingly enough, I wanted to be in finance originally. Um, and I, when I was in college, one of my grades before applying to business school, two years before business school, then two-year business school was the program. Before business school, I was applying to it. 
I wanted my grades. I got an A, but he gave me a C because he mixed me up with another, uh, another student. That dropped my GPA low enough that I didn't apply and didn't qualify for any business school at all, any major, let alone finance. Finance was the highest. So I'm like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Um, so I battled to get the grade fixed. By the time I got it fixed, finance was closed. Accounting was the only thing open. So let's go. Accounting. Um, jumped into accounting. And um, the rest is history. I really, I really enjoyed it. What was your first job? What was your first paying job? Was it a paper round or selling lemonade on the street corner? Where did you get your first bit of money? Have you, um, have you ever seen, I don't know if they have this in the UK, but in, you know, there's like these little stands in the malls that sold back in the day cell phone accessories. So back in the day when you had the light up, uh, up face plates, the light up antennas, all that, that was my very first job, 15 years old, cash. I used to make $1,300 a week doing that. I was, yeah, I was hustling people. Uh, actually, the cops called on me once uh, in the mall because I apparently was too aggressive. Um, but that, you know, and after that, I actually tried to do my own thing, selling cell phone plates out of my house, ordered a bunch um, to my parents' house, tried to do it with, with you know, friends, family, whatever. But uh, that was somewhat short-lived. But clearly you had an entrepreneurial streak back then, what would lead you down a career path where you would then be employed and beholden to the corporate giant and wanting that pound of flesh and everything else and being somebody else's boss? You know, it's interesting you say that. I think it's my parents, Eastern European, classic computer, pro computer programmers. Um, you must go to school. Now, school was always an option for me. So I don't want to make it sound like I was just this crazy hustler that never thought, you know, school School was very important to me. I knew I had to go to school for something relevant. But to get that first job and keep sticking it out in there with seven firms, I think that mentality was a parental mentality of you must work at a place, you know, grow with a place and be an employee. Um, and seeing them, that's how they were too. Take us to that that big job at Ernst & Young. It could be any big firm and you've been to a few, but you must've felt like I've landed, this is it, this is my career. I'm in the big books. Uh, it takes off from here. Yeah, um, I think honestly, I do. I, I, I loved my Ernst & Young experience, EY. I was in Miami, different feel, different vibe. Um, you know, certainly different vibe from New York city. I was talking to people in New York city and a senior was complaining to me that staff were not staying until 1am like they are. And I'm like, 1am, are you kidding? How can you possibly work until 1am? You know, it was crazy to me. Uh, but that was the complaints where, you know, in Miami it was a little bit more relaxed. I was still working 70 hours a week during tax season, but all around that was a little more chill. We went out two hour lunches, beers, you know, I mean, everything just, just had a really great time. So you're living the dream there. So when did things start to change for you? They started to change, honestly, I think when I moved back to New Jersey and I got more of that Northeast mentality, I think attitude, <laughs> attitude. I think somehow in my life, I, I gravitated towards like an Eastern European Latin American feel mentality for my career and how I want to be seen. I'm not all about working. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I live, I work to live, what I always have to get that right. I work to live. I want to have a lifestyle. I want to be able to be there for my kid. I want to be able to be there for my wife. And, you know, I also at the same time, you know, Leah, I want to make that money, but I'm not chasing millions of dollars. I don't need that. I want a nice, comfortable life where, you know, I can, I can be there, whatever that entails. And the questions that you're asking yourself at this point are probably what many accountants are at the moment. We talk about the big resignation and that quiet quitting is a new phrase of just doing the minimum to get by. I don't want to do 60, 70 hours a week anymore. So talk us through this change then. You started skipping firms. You're looking for some work-life balance, some meaning, some purpose. Talk to us about that journey a little bit, Yuri. Yeah. You know, most importantly, I think I was looking for a firm that focused on people first. I was looking for a place that prioritized the staff just like I did. 
And in my experience, in my whole journey, no matter how much pressure I was getting from above, from the partners, I was always the stopping point. The staff will never experience, you know, the, the harshness, if you will, that was coming down on me from me. I was stopping it. You know, like, for example, if a staff asked me, hey, can I work from home before COVID? Uh, you know, hey, can I work from home? Absolutely, you can work from home. I don't care where you are, just get the job done. And in that same breath, um, that same day, I was getting an email and harassing phone calls from the partners saying, hey, where's that staff? And I said, they're at home, you know, you let them be at home. Yeah, let them be at home. I don't really care where they are. They're, they're doing the job. You know, and that old school mentality is what I was battling in my, in my, in my whole career. So, you know, that, that is what I was kind of trying to change. So when you say looking after the people, you're talking about a culture there that puts the staff first and in the hope that they'll put the clients first and, and everyone's happy. But so many cultures these days, you're hinting at this, is that it's all about the job and the billable hours and culture and staying there, keeping your jacket over the chair and presenteeism, they call it, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, the, the whole hours mentality, I mean, I can get it, you know, I can get into that for, for a long time for the, the whole duration of the show. But I will tell you that, yes, you know, if you take care of the people first, they're going to go tenfold on you and give you the value and they're going to enjoy what they're doing. I do think that the billable hour pressure that we have in the industry is crushing staff into, you know, not enjoying it, right? You get to, you're getting to talk to millionaires. And, and I mean that sincerely, you're getting to talk to millionaires, you're getting to see different things every single day, you're experiencing different clients every single day. And that's not something that anybody in many other professions can say that they do. And that's what I enjoy the most about it. Exposure to many different people, many different types of returns, challenging, but the hours, the constant pressure of the billable hours, you know, where it was never enough. 70 hours I was working, if my, if my coworkers or, you know, um, yeah, coworkers were working 80, I was told, hey, they're working 80, you're working 70, that's not enough. It didn't matter and and that was the problem right they're going to crush someone who, who's going to enjoy that and is there an expectation with the politics and the power struggles and the career path and partner and you've got to do more of this kind of stuff that you didn't want to do to get to where you want to be yeah absolutely you know to get to a partner's position in any firm but especially in the bigger firms you know you obviously have to be bringing in a book of business of, of a certain caliber but not just that it's not all objective uh there's subjectivity to it and the subjectivity is you know um so-and-so could think that you're not a team player or especially with this hour stuff, you know, you like, especially me, because I'm always very vocal and I will make those waves. And I, and I did, you know, and, and when I would make those waves, um, people didn't like that because the accounting industry is not meant for people who have like a personality and, uh, and, and, you know, fight back. Right. So I'm sure I wouldn't have made partners quickly as anybody promised me. Right. Because somebody would have been upset or offended by something that I said, and I would, and I wouldn't have gotten the position. It's that simple. I've not known you too long, but you're a very passionate, outspoken guy. And when you're in a corporate professional services environment like that, you've got to toe the line. You've got to keep your mouth shut. You've got to keep your head down. You've got to agree with people. You've got to play the politics game. And I guess you figured out after going to a few firms that that was never going to happen for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried, I, I really gave it a whole valiant effort. I would have this, it's funny. It's six month periods. Like I said to you before year and a half, I was at every single one of these firms after EY, I gave it a shot for a year and a half, six, first six months, honeymoon period is consistent. Literally every single firm. I'm like happy. I'm like, this is it. I found the spot next six months. I'm seeing all the issues yet again, same freaking issues that I had in the other firm. Right. And then I'm like, okay, that's annoying. And then the next six months is that like, you know, just ramp up of, of my annoyances. Uh, and then and then I quit. In your seven firms, were the big firms, small firms, medium firms, did you think that size might be affecting the culture of what you're experiencing? 
I, th I thought I, I jumped around all the sizes. I was big four all the way down to a small 100 person firm, uh, regional only, uh, only one office in New Jersey uh, and back up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought that going down in size would help. It didn't. I thought that after I went down in size, oh man, you know, uh, this, I thought oh, I, I made a mistake. Let me go back up in size, went again, up in size. And again, it didn't help. Um, so it was just all the same. It was the same story in every place. It's not so much about the size of them. 100 person firm is still big. There are many, many that are smaller than that. But you found out then that it wasn't so much how many offices you have or how big the firm is, but it's the culture that is set by the leaders on high. Absolutely. It's 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 the top, you know, uh, what's it's tone at the top, as it's called, um, and, and that being pushed down on, on everybody else. How much is it on the leaders, Yuri, and how much is it on the profession itself that this is what's expected when you become a CPA or an accountant. This is the deal. You sign up for it. You're here for 40 years. You make some big money, but you pay for it in other ways. You are 100% right. I mean, it is an industry thing. And that's part a big thing of what I'm trying to, to change. One post at a time, I always say it. Um, but it's true. You know, I mean, the industry as a whole is a grind. If anybody going to industry now into the CPA world, and this, by the way, I think is part of the CPA pipeline issues that we're seeing, right? Because a staff right now can get access to Reddit. They can get access to Twitter, to things that we did not have when I like when I was going to school to find out really what it's like to be in the accounting world. The moment you hop on Reddit, I think you're turned off from the accounting industry. All this, you know, high hours, you know, mean people, you know, let's just say without using expletives and, um, you know, just an environment that doesn't foster anything pleasant. You know, again, no work-life balance, all that stuff. People are reading that. People are reading the horror stories and saying, um, yeah, I'm going to go into like management or something. Or I'm going to flip some uh, gorilla NFTs and make a million dollars. You know, I mean, the options the options are are, are somewhat endless. Um, but accounting is certainly not on the top of the list. My co-host Martin Bissett and I have spoken on our Tuesday show, which is insights in accounting. We comment on the news, and we've seen articles of the hemorrhage of people coming out of accounting, going into business, going into commerce, going into industry. Uh, not into private or public practice, as you would call it, because the expectations are a little bit different. But uh, take us back to your final firm before you decided that this was the end of the road and something radical needed to change. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And a lot of it, again, as I said, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. My, my you know, my spouse has to do with it and everything. And I was unhappy. You had a kid at this point, right? I have a kid. Yeah, he's three. He was three and a half then. So there's not a lot more than you just to consider here, isn't it? Your Way happiness. more. And and again, in the U.S., the health insurance is just tragic. I mean, it's 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 really not a good look uh, here because that is a. I would I would argue that is ninety percent of the preclusion from self employment in this world, Venezuela, in this in this country. Why? Because I'll give you an example. My premiums when I was at the big the the, the companies, you know, working W two job my health insurance premium that I was paying a month after the uh, company paid for it, like 500 bucks a month. Pretty decent plan, great. A similar plan to now I'm on my own and I'm not through a company. First of all, I have to research the crap out of it. <laughs> when I finally find one, $1,700 a month. And that was a garbage plan. So if you want a good plan for the family, which is important, kids, you know, they get sick, daycare, blah, blah, blah. You know, a good plan, 2,000, 2,200, Let's even call it $2,000. You have to make $24,000 a year just to cover health insurance. We have the NHS in England, the National Health Service, which is ostensibly a free health service, but you pay for that in your, your national insurance and your taxes and everything else. So 
they get you one way or the other. There is private medical insurance here if you want it at a premium to cut the waiting lines and everything else. But that's a major consideration that a lot of people wouldn't really think about that you've got so many costs to cover when you go out on the road that are covered by the security and safety of a, a nine to five or seven to seven job you're doing with a big firm. Yeah. So, so, so to go back to that, you know, to that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, like I really got to make a change. I got to get out of here. Uh, by the way, I had about $15,000 on the side. I was going to ask you if you had a little pot. Yeah, I had. Uh, I had about maybe 15, 10, 15 clients. I was very selective in who I took on on the side. Uh, and I said to myself, when I hit $50,000 in side, side hustle money, no matter where I was in my, in my, in my career path, if I hit 50,000, I'm out because I'm, I would then quit in November for my job, you know, W2 job. I would have about a month to get my, to get my stuff together. And then I would have that busy season where I would get $50,000. And I said, great, because why? Because $50,000 will carry me, you know, with my savings down to until I figured out what I was going to do. Let me just clarify you for the listeners. You were in a full-time job and you were starting to take on accounting clients on the side. Where you found the time for that, I have no idea, but but you did. So you're building that up because normally people would think, right, I've got to quit my job on day X and then day X plus seven or X plus 30 days. I am out on my own. So you save a pot of 30, 40, 50,000 if you can to tide you over until you build up a client base. But you're already thinking ahead. So you're up and running to a degree. That's right. That's right. And and again, I, I thought to myself, if I hit $50,000 in total business that I have on the side, I'm good because it'll carry me through, you know, past April, April 15th is the deadline. So I would get all my $50,000 by April and I'll figure out the rest. Uh, that was the idea. It didn't work out to be that way though. Why didn't it work out? So what happened was, um, it's very difficult, as you said, even $15,000 of side hustle money is a lot of time. I'm answering phones on top of my own main job. I'm also answering phones from my side clients. And it was just getting to be a lot. I was probably working 70 hours in my main job in addition to another 10, 15 hours a week on my, on my side hustle over the weekends, so on and so forth. It was just practically impossible to ever get to that 50. And I'm battling, battling. So I thought, you know what? An opportunity came about one of my friends who was looking to kind of exit his own accounting firm or sell off about $100,000 worth of work. I said, perfect. He was a nice guy. Really, we, we, we got along pretty well. I said, all right, let's do it. I'm going to buy $100,000 of your work. That's going to guarantee me $100,000. Um, and I don't, I'm good with $100,000. You know, I'll, make, I'll make it work and I'll, and I'll increase that. So I said, great. Um, the story behind that is we, start, we started talking about it. You know, we're, we're talking to some of those clients. By the way, he was in a partnership. I can imagine you can see where this is going. Um, uh, so we're you know, going and I, I give notice. I gave three-week notice because I wanted to stretch out that time. Uh, give myself a little extra. The firm was, you know, ecstatic saying three weeks. Wow, that's amazing. But I mean, it was somewhat self-driven um, and I, you know, self-motivated and I said, okay, all right, let's, you know, let's get it. We're going to sign, uh, you know, there's no agreement by the way. So I gave notice three weeks, five days later, I get a message from him that he's being sued by his partner because he found out that he was going to give a hundred thousand dollars worth of work that does not belong to him. It belongs to the partnership. And now I'm going, oh crap. So what am I going to do now? You know I mean? I already gave notice. I'm not taking that back. Although, trust me, multiple times in those three weeks, I was going to do it. Um, so then I went back and I said, all right, you know what? Let's do this. Let me, let me take, let me, um, you know, go and contract for the same firm. Let me handle the same clients that I was handling. I'll take 20 hours a week. It'll guarantee me a steady flow of, of, of um, you know, monthly income to keep the lights on, so to speak, uh, as I grow my, my, my practice. Um, you know, initially they said, no problem on the very last day, they said, give me your laptop. You're not doing any of that. And I said, well, okay. You know, and they said, maybe, maybe next week or a week after that, we're, we'll, we'll get back to you. And, you know, I never heard from them again, but it was like a, a drag on. And I'm thinking, okay, is just tell me, no, if it's a no, it's a no. 
but it wasn't really an official no until they just stopped talking to me at all completely. And I, you know, and I, anyway, so long story short, I ended up and finding another firm. And, and, you know, one of the benefits that I always say, I stuck it out this long in public accounting. And even though maybe I didn't, I wasn't as happy about it. I'm so thankful that I did. And the reason for that is because I would not have had the connections. I would not have had the knowledge and the ability to say, look, I got 10 plus years in public accounting and the largest firms hire me as a contractor because of my knowledge. And the moment I said that, you know, I was able to get, you know, I was able to get something because they saw my background, they saw my resume and it was no problem. So we did that, you know, found a firm, you know, still working with them. They're phenomenal, really great. giving me 10 to, 10 to 20 hours a, a month, uh, sorry, a week. And it's helping me out tremendously in my own practice as I grow it. And they understand that it's a symbiotic relationship and, you know, I'm building my business. I'm, I'm, I'm happily helping them. Everybody is happy. How is life different now at home? Yuri, with the brave decision you've made to jump from big to you? That's a great question. Um, it's challenging. It's challenging in many ways in the sense of now, you know, before when you're employed, you have a structure to your day, somewhat. Safety, security. Safety, security, a structure. Routine. Yeah, yeah, routine, exactly. I'm, I'm clocking in at nine o'clock. I'm leaving at five, you know, whatever, five o'clock. There's less expectation of me to be around outside of business season. Um, you know, now it's, it's a free-for-all. I mean, my work day now, now I'm, I will be very clear. I, I don't, you know, my goals are not to have to work 70 hours. I'm not doing this to work 70 hours. I, uh, I work 40 hours a week tops. Um, you know, my staff, the, the folks that are going to be, you know, and I'm looking to hire full time probably by the end of this year um, to bring on the, my, my, my account. My, my staff will not be working 50, 50 60 hours a week. That's just not going to happen. That's not what I'm building. Um, and so, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time. I was on the boat most of the summer. Um, you know, just, just hanging out, you know, really doing a lot of this marketing stuff that we chatted about offline, uh, podcasting, really exploring what I want to do in the industry that makes it fun. You come out the other side, not everyone does in, in let's say jumping ship from being employed to being self-employed and you sound pretty buzzing now about it, but there must've been some very dark times where you wouldn't, where do I go from here? Yeah. Those first three, four weeks until I secured that, um, until I secured that contracting job. I mean, in, honestly, I, I believed in myself and I think that that is a big component of what, you know, it takes. And, you know, there was certainly some struggles, you know, with, with my wife as well, as far as, you know, Hey, what did you do? Kind of a thing, right? You left a job, you're making $150,000 with a, 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 um, you know, health insurance, everything is covered. We don't have to think about it. You know, I mean, we've got a lot of expenses, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it really, it, it really is scary um, in, in many ways, but I was able to have faith in myself to say, okay, I'm going to get that contracting gig and I will grow this thing. No problem. Um, and yeah. And now, you know, looking back at it, it, you know, it, it was fine, but at the time it was definitely scary. You say it's fine. Hindsight is a beautiful thing, but you made some very courageous moves and you spoke about the importance of your network. When you do set out on your own, that's not a time to be isolated and alone. You've got a, I read a book called Build Your Reputation. And uh, I tell me about career capital, which is having things like a good name and you're on the radars of the right people and you've got some advocates and some champions. You've got a strong network. You've got strong ideas, things that you want to do. And you can't go from an employed to a self-employed role without career capital. So you had some of that. And you were building that up knowing that you were going to make the change. Yeah. And let me give you a great example of this, because I think that, that, that you know, your book that you, that you wrote is, is, is phenomenal. Um, and, and, it's, and what you're saying is, is exactly true. Treat people with kindness. Be, you know, humble and, 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 you know, be nice to everybody. Like I said, I was taking care of those staff. People saw that. And I'll give you a great example. When I was in Miami, uh, I was technically in the Boca Raton office of Ernst & Young, um, splitting my time between those two. One of the people who happened to sit next to me 
completely different group. I never worked with him. Um, he went on to become the managing partner of a, a large firm um, out of North Carolina. So not even, you know, I'm, I'm in New Jersey. He's in North Carolina. We were, met, we were crossing paths in Florida, but he saw I was taking good care of my staff. He knew I was kind of, you know, like a fun person to be around, a nice guy. We went out to lunch a couple of times. He sent me work to me, you know, at my firm. I, I'm so thankful, incredibly, you know, blessed that that even happened. I, I said to him, I said, what, you know, you're in North Carolina, I'm in New Jersey. We got at least five states between us. Why me? You know, and he was like, I don't know. I figured, you know, I saw your posts on LinkedIn and I like what you're doing and I liked you. And that is exactly what you're talking about in the brand reputation that, you know, what you just described. It's, it's, it's perfect. And, and, and one in many other examples that I have of, of, of that exact moment that you said. Well, the two fundamentals of reputation are the same as the two fundamentals for trust. It's character and competence. Character is, are you trustworthy? Are you likable? Uh, can people be vulnerable about you? Do they feel like you have the best interests at heart? Are you a good person? Do you have integrity? All of that speaks to trust and reputation, but also competence. You can be the most likable person in the world, but if you're lousy at what you do, so you've got to have that skill, the expertise, the knowledge, you've got to be technically competent. You put those two together, you start to build trust and reputation, don't you? You must have found Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and something that, you know, in the podcast that I had, you know, that I have, I had one guest who said something that really resonated with me. I already, I always believed in that, but when he said it, it was like unreal. So it said, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was Zig Ziglar, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, you know, the guy said it. I didn't know who cared. I don't know if he created himself. But it stuck with me so much because that's just how I am. You know, you care about people. You show your care and they will reciprocate. They will come back to you. You know, I would. And I always say this in every single time someone asks me, don't worry about the dollar that's in front of you today. You know, don't step over people. Don't go aggressively, you know, at that dollar. That's how I treat my, my, my whole marketing approach. I don't care, you know, if I, for, you know, if I give you some piece of advice right now, contrary to popular belief that I should first, you should hire me first because I'm going to help you save money. I don't care. You know, I gave an advice over this past week and I was at a, um, a trade show, uh, multimillionaires, you know, walking around there. Uh, it was a aircraft trade show. Uh, I love aircrafts, by the way, in aviation. Uh, but one of the folks that was at the show, you know, this guy owns $50 million of real estate, 5050. Um, you know, and there's a strategy here called, called, called cost segregation, where you can kind of get a huge benefit. I asked him, hey, are you doing that? He said, what is that? That's, by the way, in his scenario, it's going to translate to about a $3 million refund cash into his pocket that he has not used up in all those years. You know, mo many people would say, oh, you know, you know, hire him first, get an engagement letter signed, and then tell him about this. No, you know, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to add the value at every step of the way. And yeah, you know what? Maybe it'll take him a day or two or a week or a year, but he'll be here. He'll be here. No, even if he goes to his accountant, which is what I told him, go to your accountant. I don't care if you hire me today and tell him about the strategy because you need this today. And, you know, that's my take. How long have you been on your own now then? You're uh, August, 2021. So just shy, just a little over a year. Just over a year. All right. So you're, you're into the game. You know, it's important to market yourself. You've got to keep building your network, keeping it fresh. Tell us about the plan, the, the end goals for Yuri Kapilovich. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, short term. So I'll tell you right now, you know, short term for me is to grow monthly revenues to a point where I can hire someone full time uh, for the sheer purpose of I don't want to do bookkeeping anymore. Uh, and I'd rather pay someone a very nice high, high salary, let them have all those benefits and, you know, work under 40 hours a week, enjoy their lives, but just take care of the clients, which I'm sure they would um, to free up my time to go and, you know, share this, this kind of background that I, that I spoke to you about with the firms targeting those upper level senior managers who are about to be partners who love the accounting industry, you know, but have been kind of abused as they were going up in the, in the ranks and change that perspective. 
if I could um, come in there and do some sort of consulting to help these younger partners see the vision and, and retrain their brain from, you know, a, you know, the same abuse they incurred to refresh that, take care of your staff and really take care of them, you know, really have a good culture, not the gimmick that I see all over the, the LinkedIn world. We have great culture, you know, now really make it a great culture. And you're going to see that you're not going to have a CPA pipeline problem. And you're going to reinstill that enjoyment in the industry that folks had before. And they're going to start joining back up again in droves. You know, it does do one of these, you know, you, you have a cyclical motion there. Gary, this is a, a wonderful story. We'll put your contact details, LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can reach out to you. You're pretty active on LinkedIn, we know. Would you leave us with a message for the accountants listening that are in employed situations right now, but they're resonating with your story they're feeling the pain. They recognize elements of the journey that you've been through. They've perhaps not got the time to write or the courage or the career capital to yet jump ship, but maybe they don't even need to. There are options to change things with where they are. But just round this up this whole story with some words of encouragement for those people that have been where you are. Yeah, yeah, gladly, gladly. Um, number one thing to me that I say with somebody who is still in the industry is liking it somewhat, but just, you know, having those battles and, 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 and isn't sure that those hours they're liking it set boundaries. And for yourself, look at yourself and say you're two years into your career, look at yourself and say, or, or three or whatever, look and say, what am I willing to work? What are hours am I efficient in? And what am I not willing to do and stop there and that, and, and use that to be, you know, to, to your, as your mantra. I was doing that in my in, in all the firms I was at. I don't care about your you know minimum hours. I don't care about your maximum hours. I don't care what my you know coworkers doing over here. I don't care. You know, I myself am not going to work more than sixty hours. Now, yeah, I mean towards the last literally the last two weeks, fine. We just got to get it done sometimes and help out. But sorry about that. But um, uh, you know, I don't care about that. You, I just care about my own well-being, my own family, and everything like that, and and my efficiencies. So my point is set those boundaries. If it's 60 hours, it's 60 hours. And if you just keep being pushed towards that, say, listen, I'm not taking on any more work. And that was part of the battling that I was telling you about. I would say, no, I'm not doing it. And they would say, what, what do you mean you're saying? No, and literally, I mean, my mentality is fire me. I really don't care, you know, because I'm just going to find another job. So, you know, have those mentalities, have those um, uh, boundaries for yourself and you will be happier in the industry. And if you do get fired, I mean, you just message me on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll find you a new job. But um with no problem with my connections. But more importantly, you know, you can always find a new job. There's a CPA shortage out there. There's an accountancy shortage out there. You will find something you enjoy in the industry. It is a good industry. And just stick out with it. Like you say, you'll, be, you'll build your brand reputation, your career reputation. Yuri Kapilovich, that's been inspiring. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today. It's been great hearing your story. Yes, thank you for having me on the show, Bob. I really appreciate it. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Thank you for listening to this new talent in accounting podcast this is a relatively new show but already has over a thousand listeners so we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections if you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent reach out to me on linkedin with a message and we'll follow them up 
And as we build this show up, we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important. Loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show. Again, drop me a message on LinkedIn to tee up that conversation. And for great podcast content elsewhere, make sure you subscribe to our main show, Accounting Influencers, goes out every Monday. And join the 40,000 listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders, experts, and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Finally, why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.